Well, good morning. That was weak. Good morning. What's up? All right, I got you there. Uh, hey, my name is Matthew Morkin. I have the opportunity to be a pastor here at Veritas and just super excited to come out to Veritas Urbana. Uh, love this campus, love what's going on here. Um, I think I was out here last time on December 4th and because you all remember December 4th, nothing happened in between. Um, I'll tell you, I had survived all of fall without getting sick until the day before I came to visit y'all, and I squeaked my way through a message. At one point, I thought I was going to die, uh, but then Richard gave me a bottle of water, which was awesome. And uh, I've been coughing ever since, basically. So, I mean, you know that cough that's going around that just lasts for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. So, here I am. I'm grateful to be here, and I'm, I'm a little bit healthier than I was last time. I have more of a voice, but um, I'm still hacking. So, uh Anyone else still doing the hack thing? Oh, you guys are healthy up here. Holy smokes. Okay, I got two people who are either honest or you don't want to share your health information with a group of people. So, all right. Well, welcome. So, hope you've been enjoying the rhythm series that's been going on. Uh, we dove in at the beginning of this year talking about the need for the Word of God. Like, that is what keeps us all focused, it keeps us on direction and moving toward godliness. The calling of a Christian, I would argue, isn't for morality or to do the right things. The calling of a Christian is to follow Jesus, which will have a huge impact on doing the right things and uh, your morality. But we find out who Jesus is and what he wants of us in his word. And so for a Christian, for us who believe in Jesus, it's good for us to come back to this text and wrestle with like, who are you, God? And as we learn about who God is, it motivates, it shapes kind of the things that we do. Now, certainly we don't do it perfectly. And, and in saying that too, like certainly maybe you're not at a place where you can just plow through this book. Um, but realizing that uh, it's not always about the quantity of how much you read, but the quality of what you study. And so whether you're a reader and you love to just plow through chapters of the Bible, or whether you need to maybe take a couple of verses and mull over them for a a week or so, like, it's good. The point being, like, go to the Word, dive into your Scriptures, and, and get a rhythm, get a habit of doing that. And then secondly, we talked about God's people. The church is so much more than just this. This is an important part. It's where we, we meet and gather and we celebrate what God is doing. We celebrate that God has been at work uh, in our life through the past week, hopefully perhaps through rhythms, perhaps through us being out on mission, doing everyday missionary stuff, ministering to our neighbors. We come in and we celebrate. We celebrate with brothers and sisters, but then we go out and we look differently. I love that Ian went to Acts chapter 2. You know, like we, we're devoted to prayer and teaching that, and it doesn't just happen here and now, but it happens within this congregation. And the message I'm going to preach ties very closely with what Ian said last week. Like you have this picture of a church. They're devoted to prayer. They're devoted to teaching. And within that, perhaps because of that, they're generous people. They're people that serve one another. In fact, he alluded in Acts again to, um, I'm actually here just to re-preach his message, you know. It's easier that way. No, but... Um, <laughs> He alluded to, like, the fact that these people were, like, selling their goods and, like, taking care of one another. Like, 
very practically. Their faith, their view of God's supremacy, his power, his sovereignty said, like, I can give up my land. I can give up these things because I have a brother and sister in Christ who's struggling. And I know God will take care of me. And I know that God is going to use me to help take care of them. And so this church is very hands-on and very practical with one another. And they make a sacrifice for one another. And so we had God's word. We had God's people more than just Sunday morning. And then we have God's mission. So it seems simple maybe to go off that and say, like, are, are you on God's mission? Are we on God's mission? Like, what is God's mission? And I think for those of you who've been around the church a while, you might think immediately, well, it's the Great Commission. Great Commission is like, go into all the world, teaching them in the name of the, or baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded, and lo, I'm with you always. And I would say, like, yes. You're not wrong. But I think there's more to that uh, for those of us who perhaps do go on mission, who do multiply, who do go out into new connection groups, new communities, new states, and perhaps around the world. That, that's a thing. But I think there's something that we can do whether we're going, and there's something that we can do when we're staying. And so I think the book of First Peter has... It will be helpful as we talk about, are we living on mission? Are you living on mission? as part of the church, as part of the body of Christ. And so we're going to dive into 1 Peter chapter 4. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open that Bible. Um, but if you are, don't have a Bible or you forgot yours, it'll be on the screens here. And I want to tell you a little bit about 1 Peter, because obviously we haven't been plugging our way through the book. We're just kind of swooping in here to talk about this mission for God's people. And the book of 1 Peter is uh, one of my favorite books, um, because... The people that Peter is writing to are just going through a lot of ridiculously tough things. Um, It's easy for us in crescendum to think about our here and our now. And we think like, how do I survive? And I think for some of us, I know for myself personally, which might not be your story, sometimes it's hard for me to like pull the Bible stories out of the story. You know, I get like a childlike view that, oh, this first, this Peter guy, like, who really was he? Like, was he real, you know? And like, is he just writing us a stories? Is this a book? Is this a storybook? And, and that's some of the tensions that I have. But um, having learned over the years, like, yeah, Peter was real. And Peter was probably a lot more like me than, than, I, than I can imagine. Probably had the same struggles. Certainly a different timeline. He didn't have the temptations of a smartphone to deal with, Right. He had a temptation of doubt, though. He had the temptation of anxiety. Uh, I can relate. Uh, Peter has been known to say foolish things. Uh, This guy, right? I mean, I can relate on that deeper level where, again, he didn't have this, but he had so much that I can relate with. And I can relate with Jesus. Peter had Jesus to fight his doubt, to fight his fear with. Okay, And so this is a real guy writing to real people. And the persecutions that are happening, this is right around 60, 70 AD, are gruesome. Rome has blown up. Rome Rome has taken over. And needless to say, the emperor of Rome, Caesar, has become a little bit offended by the church. False accusations have spun out as to whether the Christians were the reason that Rome had burned. And so... 
he starts uh, burning Christians. And there's a little bit of skepticism as to when exactly this letter was written. But perhaps that's in the background. Perhaps this persecution has started to rise and the Christians are like, what are we doing here? Like, we're serving a God where if I say, I love this God, it's an instant, I die. And it's not just like I die, it's like I am tormented to death. Okay? In a very real way. And in a way that I would say many of us have never experienced in that same way, that, that torment. And so Peter is writing them a letter. He's writing to the dispersion. He's writing to saints that have been scattered because of their faith. And the persecution is happening. It was happening. And there's more persecution coming, as we find out in, if we read the, or to read the whole book. And Peter reminds them of the grace of God. If you just peek in 1 Peter chapter 1, like he reminds them, if you look at your headers, uh, that they're born into a living hope. Leader can come, leader can go, persecution can come, persecution can go, but God is living and active. And he stresses that to the people. He tells them about their need to grow in who they are as a people of Christ. He tells them that Christ is the cornerstone. They might obliterate our buildings, but they can't take away this cornerstone. It is a good foundation. It's never going to be shaken. It's never going to be removed. And he continuously encourages them with the truth of really the gospel, of the core of the gospel, Jesus. They can do whatever they want to do. Jesus, he ain't leaving. They can't remove this Jesus. And so he's reminding them of that. And then just before he gets into another warning about suffering, he kind of gets to this place that I want us to dive in today. So if you have your Bible, go with me to chapter 4. I'm in verse 7. Okay, and so Peter is, he he loves these people. Like there's a reason he speaks this truth to them is because he loves them. And you have a real situation at hand where you look around at the world around you and you're like, where is this God? How is this hopeful? Those are great questions. And you need to dive in and, and answer those questions to some extent. And so he, he's kind of in the middle of a warning here. So verse 7 starts like this. He says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So he starts off with the end of all things is at hand. And it's important to remember what he's viewing as the end of all things. Because Jesus doesn't come back in Peter's life. Nor has he come back recently. Okay? And so Peter is viewing this, or the early church would view this as God had made a promise. Remember Genesis chapter 3? Like, I'm going to send a seed. This seed is going to deal with the issue that Adam and Eve had created in the garden by taking the fruit. They said, God, you're holding out on us. And it separated. It created damage, significant damage for us as creation. Sin came into the world and separated us from our creator. And so God made promises that I'm going to address that issue. It must be addressed. If God doesn't address the issue of sin, God's a liar. So God needs to address this issue of sin, and he has. In fact, through that crazy story of Genesis, God saved a seed. God saved a path for his people to be saved, for us to be saved. And through the crazy leaders and through the crazy kings and through the crazy prophets, God made a way. And at the right time, Jesus Christ came. 
the right season, at the right moment, Jesus comes. He lives the life we can't live. He dies the death we can't die. And he raises again and is seated at the hand of the Father, interceding for us, his saints. And so these people have this opportunity to look back and say, like, okay, God fulfilled his promises. And then he made more promises. He says to Peter in first, and Peter and the disciples in Acts chapter 1, he says, hey, listen, I am coming again. And so we live in the end times. Okay, no one knows the day or the hour that Jesus Christ will return. But we know this, Jesus Christ is coming again. And we get to start Revelation next week, okay? But Jesus Christ is coming again. And so Peter and the disciples, it seemed that they all thought, like, this could be any day now. In fact, they sat, like, Jesus went up to heaven, and they're like, all right. And then the angels show up, and they're like, dudes, like, go away. Like, he didn't say, this like, up, down. Like, this isn't an elevator. He's not coming back today, right? And so they're like, okay, we'll, we'll go, right? And the Holy Spirit rushes on them, and this church is started. But, but Peter's living in anticipation that God is coming back. Christ is coming back. And it's the same anticipation that we have. And so we should therefore be self-controlled, right? And this concept of self-control means like we should be clear-minded. You know, these people were facing potential persecution and other distress that's happening in the area. And so there's a lot to be thinking about. What do I do about my kids? What do I do about my wife? What do I do if they destroy my home? Because if I go to prison and I support somebody who claims Jesus, they're going to say, he's at the prison seeing this dude. He must be one of them. Let's go destroy his house. It'll be fun. We'll burn everything the guy has. So if I'm going to face this persecution, like, what do I do? And remembering that these are families. If we gathered here today and the government was watching us, and you knew there's a decent chance your home would be burned to the ground. Would you, would you be here? Would you come and worship? Would you value the gathering of Christians, of the saints? It might cause you to think about some different things. If your kids were removed from school tomorrow because they heard you were at this church thing, would, would you be as invested in your faith? Sports, they're done. The purchases you make, you're not allowed in here. You're one of them. What would that do to your faith? And these people lived with this reality that suffering could come, okay? And there's so much that we can learn from here. But Peter's like, listen, there's a lot to be fearful for. Have a clear mind. Remember the promises of God. Remember the stories of our forefathers in Egypt? They were saved. God worked through them, and God provided Jesus Christ. And we know Peter had been there. He was on the meadow where Jesus Christ rose to heaven. And he's like, I know he's coming again. Jesus is coming again. Hold on to that. So they look back and see the promises of God, and they look forward hoping in the promises of God from where they're at. So they can be self-controlled. They can have a clear mind. And then he talks about being sober-minded. And oftentimes in my childhood, this thought of sober-minded is Christians are supposed to be serious people. There's not a lot to laugh at in this world. It's all going to the pit. And I don't think that's what he's talking about at all. In fact, sober-minded means in the Greek really similar to self-controlled. Like because of what God has done, because of what God has shown, because of who God is, and because of the promises God has made, we can really act in a manner that is controlled. We can really practice self-control, not being controlled by our emotions. And I don't know about you, I know, man, 
We should acknowledge this more, but sometimes we ride the emotional roller coaster. And our emotions cause us to do things, but all of us, men, women, old, young, medium, Richard, okay? Uh, Anyways, Um, all of us can ride this emotional roller coaster and make decisions based off that. And so we as Christians, because of the work of God, need to be clear-minded. We need to be focused on Christ. If then we've been raised with Christ, we need to seek the things that are above where Christ is. And we need to be sober-minded, having like, not that we are against laughter. I mean, we should be able to laugh like no other group of people out there because God wins. He wins and we're on team God. We're with him and he's with us. But we can act in a manner that doesn't, isn't ruled by our emotions, which one day I love you, one day I want to kill you. And that's just parenting, right? We can act on a hope that's outside this world, and it controls our, our prayers. Again, like we can go for the sake of our prayers, we're going to be focused, clear-minded on Jesus. We're not going to be manipulated by our emotions that change. Today, this Tomorrow, the opposite. Today, this. Tomorrow, the opposite. Christ never changes. And I can lean into prayer, and I can bring my fears, I can bring my concerns to God. I can bring my desire to follow God to him and plead with him, because he never changes, he never moves, he never wavers. So let's read verses 8 and 9. 1 Peter 4 Verses 8 and 9, above all, so we've got sober-minded, we've got self-controlled, above this put on love, or keep loving one another earnestly, like actively love one another, since love covers a multitude of sin. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Okay, so we've got two things here, love, and love covers a multitude of sin. You were living in the end times. There's persecution happening directly to the readers of this text. They've been dispersed because of their faith. And he reminds them of this. Like, keep loving one another. Like, actively seek to love one another. Like, these are the saints, okay? These are the people who are unified in Christ. Certainly, we can be a very different group of people. But because of Christ, we have a tremendous overarching unity, We might not be on the same page mature-wise, but we're going that way. And if I'm not with you, teach me. Help me understand why you're going that way. Explain to me. Help me lean into who Jesus Christ is. And it's interesting here that love covers a multitude of sins. And it isn't that sin doesn't exist, okay? Don't buy into this myth that because I love, I just ignore sin or sin isn't. That's not the case. It's still called sin. But with this view of God, having been saved by God, we have an eternal perspective on everything, okay? This room is not the largest room in the entire universe. But for the sake of example, I want you to think about this. A few of you are taking notes. I want you to look at the ball of your pen, okay? This room, perhaps, is your is eternity, okay? This room, it's not eternity, okay? I just want to be basic here, okay? It's not eternity. But when you look at how many balls of pens it would take to fill this room up, it would be a lot. Fair? You agree? All right. Your life is the ball of this pen. 
So as you're going through persecution, as you have people caught up perhaps in emotion, they're not sober-minded, they're not clear-minded, they're going to say and do things that aren't godly. To which some of us would say, like, that is sinfully wicked. But I can, like, pull back for a minute here and ask myself, on the scale of eternity, does this matter? Now, hear what I'm saying, right? The scale of eternity, right? If I wish I had another pen, I would say, like, okay, so this, this is when you were born. Oh, and there you're graduating from kindergarten, okay? And then you made it to 12. Good for you. And then, oh, there you get your driver's license, And people have sinned against you in the middle. Again, we're not going to talk about denying sin or that love just makes sin go away. But love makes you ask the question like, because God first loved me, does does it matter? Am I hung up on every offense? And this group of saints is in the middle of persecution. Again, they've been dispersed. Are they caught up in the little itty-bitty things of tension and communication issues or are they just like you know what let's let it go i've been forgiven much i can forgive much and certainly if there's sin that needs to be addressed jesus addresses that it should be addressed because of jesus but nonetheless love can cover a multitude of sins and love covers a multitude of sins as we draw back and realize our life, and more so realize our God and how he can care for us and walk us through many of those things or through all those things, really. And hospitality. You have a picture of this scattered church, and as they would travel, it wasn't such a thing to go to Motel 8. They didn't leave the light on for you. But there would be a brother or a sister in the church that they could go and stay with. And so that was that picture of very practical hospitality. Hey, I need a place to stay. Do you have a room? Absolutely. But you see here in verse uh, 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Right? There was some words spoken. Sure, you can stay at my house. Oh, crud, I have to go clean. Oh, did they have to bring this? Do they have to do this? They actually drive me insane. But look at my hospitality. Now, the love of God causes us to, to realize that what we have, we didn't get on our own. All that I have is God's. God has given to me. So it is yours. Remember, like, they realize that in Acts chapter 2. Like, what have I done to do this? Have I given myself a brain to farm in such a way that I have X amount of dollars? Have I done this? Have I given myself the ability to do anything? No, it's all a gift. So hospitality here is a calling. And these people, again, some of them are in persecution. Some of them are hiding. And they open their doors to one another. So we take it a little bit differently in that we offer grace and kindness. We bring people into our home. The church is to do this differently. We have the opportunity to truly, genuinely, deeply care for one another and bring people in. And we see that practiced here and encouraged by Peter. But let's go on here. I think verse 10 is kind of the crux of what he's trying to say here. He says this to all of us. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And this verse is very pointed, but I think it's very simple. 
You have, everyone has a gift. If you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God has moved into your heart and he's given you a gift, perhaps gifts. Everyone, you didn't, it didn't miss you. Like you, you aren't the one that he forgot. Everyone has received a gift. It varies. My gift is not the same as my wife's. My gift is not the same as yours. Like we all have this different leaning, this different passion that has been given to us by God, and we're called to steward it, right? I think of the story Jesus told of the different servants, and he gave talents to one, and he gave a medium set of talents to another, and he gave his talents to the other guy. The one guy goes out and invests, and he doubles it. The other invests and doubles it, and the third guy goes and buries it in the backyard. This isn't what we're supposed to do with our gifts. Our gifts are supposed to be engaged. They're supposed to be active, supposed to be used by the people of God for the people of God. And so he tells us, use it. Use it. How many of you have a Christmas gift? Well, this is probably true in some cases. That isn't used. When I open my Christmas gifts, I rip it off and I use it. It's, it's enjoyable. It's part of the pleasure of the gift. Perhaps it has fulfilled a need for me. And God has given us a gift in this room, however many of us, a gift. Some of ours match. Some of ours don't match. And the tension is within us is to, to use it. Because it's, it's his gift to us. Like it's God in us. Something that God has given for a purpose, for a reason. It's not just accidental. And so Peter kind of breaks this up into two parts here. In verse 11, if you go there, it says, whoever speaks... As one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And so this speaking and service, these speaking gifts and serving gifts, kind of two categories. Do you speak truth? Do you encourage? I think the implication here is that we're speaking truth. We're speaking God's word. We're speaking the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ to people. You lead a group? Own it. Take it seriously. You're discipling your cousin, your mom, your friend. Own it. Take it seriously. Speak as though you're speaking the very oracles of God. You're giving the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that's lost and perishing. And God has given a message to us for us to speak. Are you teaching Sunday school? We've got an army of folks across the way. And they're pouring into the lives of children. And what I hate about some Sunday school stuff is we get to a place where it becomes child care. And some of you are like, I want nothing to do with child care. Or, I've done my time. It's a ministry of the gospel. And it's an opportunity to lay a foundation in the other, on the, the other gym for the sake of this meeting. It's not to be taken lightly. It's as if you're speaking the very things of God. You're speaking the very truth of God. You're speaking God's word. We're leading a connection group. We met with about 100-ish connection group leaders yesterday. It's unbelievable. Shepherding people. Speaking the truth of God into celebrations and into hardships. Speak as if you're speaking the very... very things of God. Some of you are like, I ain't talking to nobody. Well, then you must be a server, okay? You don't get completely out of the, the role of talking, but like, why are you serving? How are you serving? Like, what are you doing? 
I think you can go to various lists in the New Testament and you can find lists. But I don't think those things are all inclusive. The lists vary a little bit. Like, are you hospitable? Are you pouring out, right? And it goes back to, like, there's this warning here, like, be hospitable without grumbling. And so church, like, servers, like, are you burning yourselves out trying to keep up or trying to do it? And so whether we're speaking or whether we're serving one another, there's this huge turn in this text. This huge reminder to us that we don't do this for ourselves. This isn't about growing Veritas Urbana. This isn't about making a name for us. This is about so much greater than that. This isn't about a notch on our belt. This isn't about a good deed done, a person helped, a church grown. This comes back to God. If we are to serve, if we are to speak, if we are to be hospitable, if we are to be self-controlled, if we are to be sober-minded, it's about God. Verse 11, the end here says this, serve with the strength that God supplies. Serve with the strength that God supplies. It's not about you. It's not about what you can do. It's not about the meal you can make. It's not about the presentation of your home that you can produce. It's not about the growth of this church that's in God's hands. It's about a people of God using the gifts of God for the glory of God. Let's not become sidetracked by what we produce or what activity that we do. But let's continually come back to our source, to our hope, to our power. Let's continually come back to our maker, creator, who didn't just call you to himself and say, go do it. Good luck. I'm going to go over and help someone else. It'll be fun. But he's working in you. He's working through you. Bringing glory to himself. And I think as we go out and we serve or as we go out and we speak, like we need not feel the presence of angels hovering over us. Perhaps they're singing. We need not see lightning strike. But it's sitting down at a coffee table, at a coffee shop, and hearing a brother talk about a marriage that's struggling. Or it's sitting alongside a mom who is struggling with little kids. Or it's sitting beside a couple who is celebrating a new child. This is the service that God provides us a gift for and the strength to do. And so my big idea for today that I want to impress upon you that I would love for you to remember and take home with you is this, the mission of God's people. Use God's gifts with God's power for God's glory. All of us have been given a gift. There's none of you that can say to me, God must have forgotten with me. Or, I just can't do that. I could not go back into a kid's room. I could not teach them the gospel. I would end up in prison. But you can. You can do it. 
It's an opportunity for us to show the students, to show our fellow leaders that God is at work in our life. To those of us who say, like, when you look at your neighbor, right, we want to raise up mature disciples. We want to send out everyday missionaries, and we want to glorify God. To you who say, like, I can't go back to my neighborhood. I can't go back to my team. I can't go back to my coworkers and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, you, you can It might not be pretty, but it's in our weakness that God displays his strength to us. Again, we're talking about Peter, who was an average guy who had regular doubts, and I would guess lots of anxiety. And God did a tremendous work through he and several other folks that were pretty simple people like every single one of us. The Holy Spirit gave him a gift. The Holy Spirit gave them gifts. And they went. There was not necessarily lightning. There was not necessarily angels. They didn't necessarily glow. But they spoke the truth to their neighbors. They spoke the truth in their neighboring cities. And they, several of them spoke the truth to their political leaders. And said, you might persecute me, me but I will serve the Lord. And they served the Lord till their very death. Because God gave them the strength. And you know what? Even if they died in their service, God greeted them. And they joined him in heaven. That's the hope of the gospel. The mission of God's people is to use God's gifts with God's power for God's glory. Why do you serve? Do you serve? Is it impossible for you to serve? It's not possible because God is with you. Where do you need to wrestle with that today? How can you serve this body? I don't believe that Christians are just called to serve the world. But within this congregation, there is service that is needed. I mean, very practically here. You could literally serve by the strength that God provides and set up. You could literally serve by the strength that God provides and help lead worship. You could literally serve by the strength that God provides and teach the children. You could literally serve by the strength that God provides and assist the teacher for teaching the children. You could literally do that and sense the presence of God doing something you're radically uncomfortable with. I was raised in northern Minnesota in Climax, a town of 264 people, and I was so paralyzed. This is the faithfulness of God. I hope this doesn't get taken the wrong way. I couldn't walk into the post office because there was this lady named Alice who was so nice, who I was scared to death of. God did something to me. And I'll tell you, usually in the first five minutes, you all scare the crud out of me. But God is doing a work. Even for you, introvert, like God, God can work. And certainly you might not speak to 10 people or 50 people, but you might speak to that one friend, constant truth, into their life when they're just struggling. You might share that gospel. Hey, hope in God. Hey, hey. Hope in, hope in God. Like, I know it sounds crazy, but hope in God. Like, lean on Jesus. It's not meaningless. And you can have a deep spiritual impact, eternal impact on a person's life. And some of you might talk to more 
but all of you can serve. And we serve in ways that have an impact. Are you aware that your chair was put up by somebody who's serving? I mean, those things, it's easy, it's easy to take lightly. Some of you give a donation so we can rent a building. Somebody has done work, has made phone calls to line stuff up. These are, these are servants using the gift that God provided and, and giving God glory, I hope. How can you serve in this church? Or perhaps you can get involved in a connection group. Launch points coming up here in a couple weeks. We want to get you into a group, and there's going to be a smaller group of people where we can say, like, what needs do you have? Where we can live out some of Acts 2. Like, do you have a need? Like, can I help you move? Only if you don't have a piano, okay? But I'll help you move the other stuff, right? (laughs) Selfish, I know. Um, But do do you need food? we can do that. Do you need someone to come sit alongside you in your loss as life changes or as you lose someone important to you? I, I, I can do that. I'll come serve. Like it's an opportunity for us, even in a smaller setting, to let our needs be known. Maybe you don't want to broadcast it to this group. But the connection group is where the church like lives and works together. Not always perfectly, but it's a place where we practice our gifts in such a way. Are you on God's mission? The mission of God's people. Use the gifts of God. With the power of God. For the glory of God. And in the end it comes like we serve others because Christ served us. Like while I was still an enemy of God, Christ died for me. While I was like, no God, I don't want you. I don't care about you. I want my way. I want to be God. Christ moved in and he served me. While I was ignorant of the fact, Christ made a way for me to know God. And I ran from it, and I pushed it away, and I stood on it, and I kicked it, and I screamed about it, and I fussed about it, and God was making a way. So as we come into communion today, like we serve others, we speak the truth to others because God spoke and lived the truth to us. The king of the universe humbled himself even to the point of washing feet to display his love for his creation. So as we examine ourselves today, a question we might ask ourselves is, well, clearly, how are we on God's mission? And, or what sin is thwarting me from serving? Am I too good? Am I too proud? Am I above kids or that person or those people? Can I move a chair? Or perhaps... You might ask yourself, like, how am I doubting God? If I step out of my comfort zone, could God possibly provide for me in my anxiety? Not saying it's going to be easy, but could God possibly provide? Like, what do you need to examine in your heart today? And when you're ready, you come take communion. Jesus Christ loves you. Jesus Christ likes you. Jesus Christ died for you so that you could serve like he served. So that you could display the glory of the Father through the actions that we do. Let's pray.